Hi, you're listening to Food People Are the Best People, a new podcast for people who love food from the Eat, Drink, Dine Network. I'm your host, Judy Ann Wu, and this podcast was inspired by my culinary hero, Julia Child, who once said, People who love to eat are always the best people. I'd have to agree. I believe that some of the best people in the world, the most fun, the most creative, the most passionate people you'll ever meet are people who are just maybe a little obsessed with food. On today's episode two, I'm delighted to have joining me Chef Peter Cho of Hanok Restaurant and the newly opened Toki Restaurant in Portland, Oregon, which he co-owns with his wife and business partner, Sun Young Park. Hanok opened in 2016 as a unique live-work restaurant space serving Korean flavors using the best of traditional Korean and Western techniques. The following year, Hanok was awarded Restaurant of the Year by both Portland Monthly and The Oregonian. Hanok also garnered Best New Restaurant recognitions by the James Beard Foundation, Eater National, GQ, and Esquire magazines. Peter was also named one of the Best New Chefs in America by Food & Wine magazine and was a 2019 finalist for the James Beard Foundation Awards for Best Chef Northwest. Just this year, Peter opened his second restaurant, Toki. Welcome, Peter. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> so, you will... Uh, you're a brave soul opening a, a restaurant in the middle of a pandemic. How'd that go? <laughs> or how's it going? I should say. <laughs> you know, it's going. Um, it's been it's been interesting. I think what I, you know, there's a lot. There's 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 just a lot. <laughs> um, you know, when we closed, I, I, when we closed in March, we took a good long break, and I didn't see a safe way to reopen. But then, you know, we just needed to get back up and running. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't try and do anything else. I didn't, you know, a lot of people were doing uh, Instagram cooking channels and they were doing all kinds of other, other pivots. Um, but, you know, we just took a good break and spent time with family and, and got right. used to a new house that we moved into and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, the opening since January has been uh, good, but tough. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, yeah, we're just trying to get through it. Right, because, you know, you have two young children, too. So, I mean, I think that's different than just being a solo chef. I mean, you have a family, and I'm sure it was a shock to everybody to suddenly have this kind of, like, as to anybody, you know. Yeah. They were probably not going to school no, they've been home this whole time. So son's been son's been home with the kids. We get a little bit of help here and there, but um, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like all of that was happening because right before the pandemic, it was like I feel like, well, you have been going nonstop since the restaurant opened. It was like the restaurant opened, boom, all the accolades. It became the most talked about restaurant in Portland. The place that when people would ask me for a list of like where do you go when you come to Portland. It was always on the list and it was always the one that people would be so um, delighted by afterwards. And I think part of that was for people who have never been to Han Oak, it really is this kind of unique, like you feel like you're going to someone's house, first of all. It's like an unmarked restaurant, right? You walk into this courtyard, it's beautiful. There's like ivy growing on the walls and you see like kids' toys in the backyard. And you see, you know, you, in the early days, you would see like a, you and a baby sling, you know? And you, it, it really felt like you got invited, the spe very special home. 
um, except none of our friends really cook that well, you know, but like, and really taken care of. I thought it was, you know, for me, it was like, I, I love to surprise somebody who, you know, who had been to all the restaurants, you know, who traveled all over the world, these kind of jaded restaurant folks, and they would come and they were so shocked because they would never experienced anything quite like it. I mean, that's yeah. the magic I feel like we're missing in, for so many of these restaurants that are in jeopardy. You know, I think you, you'll just be, you'll be just fine. But I think I read an article about, I think it was in an Esquire. They were talking about restaurants that we cannot let close. Like mm-hmm. it would be so sad if they went away. And I think about that for Han Oak, <laughs> like we cannot yeah. let it go away. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of that, all, all the special magic in the, in the space, just, we just kind of discovered it and figured it out as we went. And, and I think what, what you know was beneficial for us was not to look at it as a restaurant space right Mm -hmm. and because we lived here we just always looked at it as a place for us and our family and for you know the rest as as far as how that extends to the restaurant is we just invited people to our space right so right you know there was a lot of things that i let go about being a chef and about you know running a restaurant um Mm -hmm. and that just I think that came more with just having kids and you don't, you just don't have the bandwidth for it really. And there's always this sort of, you know, do you do, do you do this extra work to, you know, make the space feel like more of a restaurant or do you, you know, make it feel more like a home for our kids and it always, you know, making it a home and a space for us, our family and our, and our kids was, was always the priority. And so I, I, think I think that's, that's, what made that's it so where it just, yeah, it just right. always kind of guided more to that way than like having a beautiful mm-hmm. restaurant. I also like really fought calling it a restaurant for a long time. You know, I just, I just didn't, I guess, you know, I was just a burnout. <laughs> I think I worked right. well, cause I worked you had, for a long you had time come in from, New York. I know you're from Portland, but I mean, you'd worked, you'd really like worked hard for like in New York city for like a decade. Right. Like right. talk about, how to burn somebody out. You work in restaurants and some of the top restaurants in New York for 10 years. That'll, that'll make you want to take a vacation. Yeah, for sure. But, but you know, all that stuff, I only realized after, after the fact, while I was doing it, I always felt really excited about learning new things and getting to do cool stuff and expanding, expanding. And, and it was awesome. And I, I think about that time fondly in that I learned so much, but yeah, I, I just worked a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think it was, uh, and then, but you came back to Portland, which is your original hometown, right? You grew up here. You well, I grew up, I grew up in Springfield, been... Springfield, Eugene. So ah, I grew up in yes. Springfield high school and then, uh, went to U of O, go Ducks. Yeah. And then right after college, I moved out to New York and then kind of kicked around for a couple of years and then, and then started cooking. Springfield is like the mythical Simpsons town, right? Totally. <laughs> That's how people around the country know Springfield. They're like, that is a real place. I'm like, yeah, it's a real place. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's yeah. the place, but. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, I love the restaurant and I always have. And, you know, you, we share this certain kinship because we're both Korean. So I, I always, maybe you don't, but I do. <laughs> I, I meet another Korean and I always, I'm so proud of them. I always think your parents must be so proud of you too. Cause knowing how much, <laughs> you know, Koreans work hard and they want their, they want their children to grow up and be doctors and lawyers and things like that. And then, you know, and then you say you want to work in restaurants they are like, we moved to this country so that you <laughs> wouldn't have to work in a restaurant. So when you reach like a, you know, the caliber of restaurant and the recognition 
that you have received, then it's like, okay, well, if you're going to open a restaurant, you might also open up something like this, where it's like nationally recognized. So that's why I think, oh, your parents must be really proud of you. <laughs> yeah, they're really proud. My parents, though, I mean, my mom has always been supportive of whatever I did. So even when I was like kind of kicking around in New York before I started cooking, she was like, yeah, as long as you're happy and we, we know that you'll, you'll land on your feet. And I think, yeah, I think there wasn't a lot of pressure for me to do one thing or another. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good to hear. My parents weren't that way either, but I always, you know, I was, I feel bad for the Asians who are like kind of felt feel compelled to go into a profession that really is not their passion. So have yeah. you always enjoyed cooking even when you're, a, you know, younger? Yeah, I did. I mean, I think every Asian kid has the memories of like sitting around the table and making dumplings and it was sort of illustrated in, in movies that came out recently and stuff like that. And I think there's just a lot more of that being shown to the world now but um yeah I, I cooked a lot um growing up but also i mean you know i wasn't like a foodie i didn't know anything about restaurants really even when i was living in new york um i i just wasn't tapped into that world and 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 that world is so big in new york right but um when i first moved there um i lived in this sort of shared uh, brownstone where you know each floor of the of the brownstone was shared by um, about 12 people total and we all took turns cooking for everybody on Sundays and that's when I really started cooking and I think cooking for like myself and maybe you know somebody else or a couple of people um, is really different than cooking for like 12 people and so I really did have to like start menu planning and thinking about what I was going to make and and having a menu and then going down and 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 really writing a a, a prep list and all that kind right. of stuff and then that is so, like a mini restaurant <laughs> yeah so you know that's really when I started to think oh wow this is cool and I, I like it and I think there's a there's a you know there's a future in it mm -hmm. and that's when I started to look at like culinary schools and I was looking at um back then it was called I don't know what it's called now. It's the French Culinary Institute in, in Soho. Did you go to the French Culinary Institute? No, I was like oh, okay. this close. I was going to say, you. I went there. I, right, we would have <laughs> I, I didn't know that you had gone there. I'm like, why are point. you not on all the advertising? Because that's what they do as soon as you become famous, you know, because like <laughs> Dan Barber went there, David Chang went there, Christina Tossi right. went there. And it would be like, yeah. I'd be like, where is Peter Joe? <laughs> <laughs> But okay, you're so this close. Okay. okay. I, yeah. So I went down there and I, you know, went through the whole thing and I was about to enroll. I was really, I was really like on my way down to enroll and I was going to commit to, I think it was like the nine month program. And it was at that, at the time, I think it was like 40 grand or something. Yeah. It's and it seemed like a lot of money f to me. And on the way down there, I, uh, I had a friend who I went and saw um, in the West Village and and i knew i had gotten this advice before which is like just go to a restaurant just walk in and see if you can get a job just tell them you'll do whatever you whatever they need and you'll work for free and i was like okay well i'm gonna either drop 40 grand or i can work for free and at this time i at the time i was living with my brother my brother was helping me i was trying to you know figure out what i was gonna do with right. my life so he was a good brother so we were like uh, we were bunk mates and uh in harlem and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I said, okay, I, either I'm going to drop all this money or I'm going to just work for free somewhere for a little while. And it was the first restaurant I walked into. It was a Spotted Pig. What and was the restaurant? 
uh, it was the spotted pig. Oh, which yeah. you ended up uh, being what, executive chef there? Well, <laughs> so it was a pig and I walked in and uh, I got a chance to, to meet with April and April was like, why don't you come back and, and cook something for me? And I did and I kind of, you know, shat myself and then um <laughs> what did you cook I, I, what did you cook I, for I, april bloomfield yeah no i honestly it's so funny to think about it because i had no i had no idea what i was doing <laughs> well and at that time <laughs> yeah at that time it was like a, uh the first year of the pig and they were on they were on uh, rocket ship to the moon yes um and and so yeah i came back the next day i cooked a simple like whole fish with you know it was like stuffed with fennel and lemon and it was very simple very kind of river cafe ish esque mm -hmm. and uh and at the time i i remember at the time they were i guess i only found out later but at the time they were having a hard time finding cooks and so <laughs> the sous, sous chef there really like helped me like she was like oh who is this kid the hell is he doing he has no idea here, let me help him how to you know help him do this dish so that april can right. at least be like this kid isn't a total moron and so she helped me out and april tasted it she's like okay this is great um here's a big pile of onions go cut that and i like cut that without cutting my finger off and so she was like hey okay cool like come back tomorrow you can you can start working <laughs> and i said okay oh uh, that's great that's <laughs> yeah. great that's good that's a good attitude to have i always tell people to um you know especially People ask me all the time, is culinary school, you know, necessary? And I say, you know, it's not necessary at all, but, you know, it's kind of a fast track for sure. But even nowadays, it's kind of that has changed, too. So my mm -hmm. answer 10 years ago would be different than it is now. But I always say, if you can, to work for as little as possible for the best people as possible for as long as you possibly can afford to, because that's where you're going to get the best experience. So. <laughs> Yeah. Good for you for doing that, having the 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 chutzpah to walk in there and just <laughs> say, I'll do it. Yeah, it was wild because, I mean, back at the time, you know, I was watching a lot of like Food Network and Food TV and it was, you know, Jamie Oliver and and uh, Emerald and all the all the all the shows. And, and then to sort of be in a place where, you know, April was friends with Jamie Oliver and, you know right all these other yeah. chefs they would show up in the kitchen i'd be every every you know every week there would be some new like famous person and you're like oh. <laughs> it was you definitely know, a very exciting time yeah it's such, such a great restaurant um I, I i ate there not that long ago i i was there in new york for something and um i was with somebody who had never been and really wanted to go because it was mm -hmm. on their list had been on their list for a long time and we went mm -hmm. and it was delightful you know yeah. But yeah, then you get came, come to Portland, you open up Han Oak, and it's, I mean, I think about your first menu. Was it like a brunch? Or how would you describe what you, the first menu that you did at Han Oak? No, the first menu was like a set menu. So we Yeah, it was did, a set menu, right? We, did, we ended up sort of going back to what that was. But when I first opened, it was like sort of a trio. Actually, it was, you know, panchan, sort mm -hmm. of five little, four or five little plates of panchan. And then we did the smoked, I think we did like smoked beef mm -hmm. um, as a sam, a little samjang. We did the koji cured and salt baked pork belly. So that was kind of mm -hmm. like the opening menu and that ended up staying on the menu for quite a while. And we do iterations of that still. Mm -hmm. And then there was some dumplings and some noodles. And then one other thing I forget. I think it was the blood, the blood cake. Right. 
Well, the blood cake was a was my homage to Fergus Henderson's <laughs> blood cake and duck egg dish. Um, we did it like a sunde, but set it in a tureen mold. Right. So yeah, that, that was, was the so opening fun. menu. Yeah, and we did like you know twenty five people a night for a couple nights a week, and it was just me and another guy, another kid, and then son <laughs> and some family friends, and it was very it was. It was wild. It's really funny. I think about that a lot now, especially because we're, I feel like we're starting all over again and I kind of want to just do it the same way we did it right. you know, five years ago, <laughs> just a couple well, nights a week, quickly. just me and a few people. And, yeah. Well, very quickly, it got a lot of attention for sure. Mm -hmm. And you have these iconic dishes at your restaurant now that are kind of like, you must go and eat. I don't even know. I don't know if chef, do you ever get tired of making things like that? I mean, or like I think about your chicken wings, right? <laughs> yeah like people people just cannot stop they can't get enough of it now you do like a version of a korean fried korean fried chicken too but just um you know your classic wings that you had at han oak they had what what would you call that that magic ramen dust what it was like crack dust well, <laughs> it was on there yeah. it was like so addictive <laughs> i mean i it's kind of a troll i guess i call it the essence of instant ramen but you know when people are like <laughs> essence of who, whoever the whatever <laughs> i think it's just funny when people are really serious about that so right to, to make it as a joke i call it the essence of instant ramen but we basically you know reverse engineered what you might get in a shin ramen or noguri ramen packet right um, so we like dehydrate kimchi and add all our you know so you uh, make all those seasonings it's not like you take the packet shake it off does it no I, at, some, <laughs> at some point i wanted to but then we were like okay what do you do with that baggie of little dehydrated you know right. vegetables and then uh, all the ramen noodles but um yeah no we we sort of make our own version of it well it's I delicious it's, i think it's pretty close it's it's phenomenal and so yeah. um and I was thinking, and I, I got the I got a, the pleasure to eat at um, Toki restaurant. So t tell us about how that came about. And I know that you got the space, and you know mm -hmm. you weren't necessarily ex wanting to expand, but this opportunity came to have the space right downtown, right? Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like this happened before the pandemic, <laughs> and then the pandemic hit. Right. Well, okay. So actually, the timeline goes: we were looking at a space before, uh, before the pandemic. We were looking at the space that was across the yard from us. So mm. there's four micro restaurants in this little compound. There's the Pie Spot and Kills and Chars, the the butcher shop. But the four, one of the four micro restaurants shares the wall to the back of our courtyard. And so we're like, hey, we should take that over, punch a hole through the yeah. wall. We'd have a little sort of more casual noodle shop that's open seven days a week because mm -hmm. we were still only open four nights a week here at Han Oak. And so have something a little more accessible, maybe take some of those things that have become our signature dishes, like the chicken wings and the dumplings, maybe some noodles and have a little like noodle shop, snack shop. And so that was the plan. And and then the pandemic hit and we we're like, look, we're, we're going to be overextended if we try to do another space. We already have this space to figure out. And so we, um, uh, thankfully, were able to back out of that one. But you know, we had all these ideas of all these things that were kind of more suited, better suited for quick takeaway, quick service, and even delivery. And we just kind of, you know, explored that a little more. And then this opportunity came along because the landlord of the building has been a long regular of ours, and we've always sort of, anytime he's had a vacancy in one of his properties, he hit me up and I'd, <laughs> I'd go down and poke around and take a look. But 
but then I would get scared <laughs> uh, and just be like, ah, no, I can't. Right. <laughs> and so I, I backed out of a lot of like spaces that we've looked at and, you know, I, I, I felt like we needed to start thinking about the future further, further, I guess like, with Hanokbin, because of how quickly we got busy and how quickly things moved along, I was just always felt behind and the kids took up so much time too. So like, I, I felt like I was always playing catch up and I never found myself sort of caught up to be able to plan ahead. Mm. And so to have had that break, really get to sort of uh, take a break from, from you know, things here and, and be able to stop and think about, you know, what the future could look like and 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 giving ourselves a little hope that things will be better and we'll, you know downtown will be busy and people will be coming back to like oh i you know, think so visit think visit portland yeah. for their food i mean it's amazing how people would visit here just to go to restaurants i mean oh, you I, know. Get I have friends so I'm many so... people yeah and well, I miss I'm that so, so glad much. That if i left new york like that the fact that i'm here is the only reason why i still see my friends in new york because they basically they i know they want to see me but basically they come here to eat and they yeah. see me so that's yeah. the lure. I always say, come visit and I'll take you around all the places to eat. You know, <laughs> so Totally. I totally am 100% confident that Portland will be in back in full swing yeah. and that downtown Portland too will be. So um, it's yeah. good to prepare yeah. now. But let's talk about that menu at Toki, which is so mm -hmm. fun. You have some of the, <laughs> I mean, let's talk about like some of the inventions. You've really invented some things. Um, you want to talk about some of the signature items? Boy, uh, I didn't invent anything. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just uh, stealing whatever I can from, you know, tr food trends, really. <laughs> no, <laughs> like but I mean, Supreme, the Kimbap Supreme, that was based on uh, what is it? Uh, oh my gosh. The Kimbap Supreme, it's like uh, uh, play on the Crunchwrap Supreme. I feel like uh, every everybody's doing their version of us, Crunchwrap Supreme. Um, right. <laughs> But you know, we we were in this space, and I was I was like, you know, I just want to do a classic kimbap, right? Know? Like, and then we would make it, and then I would I would eat it, and I'd be like, you know, this is just like a regular kimbap. It doesn't right. like excite me as much as I thought it would. And uh, so yeah, we just like, and then this like video comes across, and of course I'm like on this group chat with a bunch of other like you know. Uh, Asian Korean friends and like there's always like some you know video or some link to a, a, a post or something that gets sent along so we can all laugh about it right. and then this uh, and then the kimbap like the the folding of the kimbap thing came along and somebody sent it to us and I was like oh that's funny why don't I slip a you know crunchy you know tempura fried seaweed in there and we'll call it the kimbap right. supreme <laughs> and that was really like we just did that the very last second it was we were gonna open with like this kim classic kimbap roll mm -hmm. and kind of cut, and then I was like, you know what, screw this, let's do the, do this kimbap supreme. And I we put it on that day. We, did, you know, I demoed a couple. <laughs> I think right. I like, tried. Oh, I tried it once great. or twice. Um, but yeah, it's it's fun. It's just like I also love that you can like after it's all wrapped and we wrap wrap it like a sandwich and then we cut it in half. So there's that nice reveal. Right. It's very you can accessible. See all the you look at it. 
see all the yeah. layers. The marketer yeah. and me, the marketer and me saw that and went brilliant, you know, because yeah. it like <laughs> totally capitalized on the tradition of like, you know, n integrity of food of what you would actually serve. But it also yeah. like captured the moment of like a food trend. It was so Instagram worthy, right? Because it was just like this kind of thing that you want to take a picture of. You know? Yeah, totally. And you also have a really fun burger too. Explain how you make that. Yeah, that one. Um, our, so our pastry chef Lauren and um, and Johnny, who've been working for me for a while. Well, Lauren has been working for me for a long time. We uh, we're doing a brunch box here, and uh -huh. we had an idea of doing bows, like steamed bows, but filled right. with like bacon, bacon, egg, and cheese, which is like a classic, like you know, like a bodega sandwich, you know. Mm -hmm. So sausage, egg, and cheese, bacon, egg, and cheese, and we were doing that at a bow bow uh, steam bows uh, for our uh -huh. brunch for our brunch box when we were uh, doing it here. And, you know, once you have a bunch of bow dough around, you start <laughs> messing around. And so they were like, hey, what if we did it like a classic, you know, burger, smash burger? Um, and what can we stuff in that bow dough? Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm still like, we, we have stuff in our back pocket of new uh, items that we're going to put in there. So, so you know, I love it. I um, love the innovation and the creativity. And you kind of share mm -hmm. that too. I saw on your social, like when you're like developing recipes, I think it's really fun to see that these things, you know, it may or may not make it on the menu or maybe a special or something like that, but that you're thinking mm -hmm. of all these kind of fun things and drawing like anticipation for what could be. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. But I think you know, it's a hot dog on a stick, you know? The hot dog I'm still working the on. The octa dog. Was it, was it the octa dog? Yeah. <laughs> it was there's like so many. People there's at, so many things. At home, uh, it's a hot dog. Cut so that yeah. when it cooks, like the little the little end pieces like flare out like an octopus, but it's right. like coated, so it's like a crunchy Korean hot dog. But it's right. so delightful. I was like, ah, oh, you gotta do that just because you know you gotta. Like yeah. I wanna, I wanna, the kids I wanna love eat it. that. The kids would love it. Adults, yeah. if kids of all ages would love it. So <laughs> things like that, I just love. And then I just had for the first time your Korean fried chicken. And, you know, I'm a little picky about Korean fried chicken, but I have to say like oh. yours was just phenomenal. And then, then I did a little research about how you actually develop that and how you test this. You tested it like it has to, you know, obviously work right when you eat it you order it you eat it right there it's awesome but like maybe you put it in your car and you drive across town you know um or maybe you know you get it and you ordered too much food like which is what everyone does when they see your menu <laughs> they order the whole menu and then they can't finish it so maybe you put it in the refrigerator and want to eat it like at 2 a.m it's still yeah. delicious so i mean you you actually thought about these dishes of how it transports because you know people when the pandemic first started people just started putting all their food you know uh, for takeout but a lot of the things just don't survive takeout very well i mean it loses the integrity and i kind of feel bad because it's not the fault of the chef or the dish but it's like certain things just do not travel well but it's it's the chef's responsibility to say i'm not going to put that on the menu because you know you, you got to know yeah. people are going to travel yeah, and it's hard. Anytime I do a noodle dish, it's like I know this is gonna travel well, you know. But there's, you know, doing the noodle soups, but sort of shocking it in ice water and just giving it a, a light, you know. So you know, and doing the soup separately and yeah, it's man, it's it's really well, hard to put do, anything. How do you get it yeah. crunchy? No, it's it's, it's really it's really hard to get put anything into a to go box, but <laughs> the chicken. I mean, the chicken we've been working on forever. I feel like I learn something new about it all the time, but it's just the, it's just the way we fry it with the dredge. And so right. it's a, it's all a mix of starches. Mm -hmm. um, and then we just, 
put a very light coating on. And the reason why we've all I've always done wings is because the wing is totally encased in its skin. Mm-hmm. I think anytime anytime you expose the chicken uh, meat to the fire for a long time, then mm-hmm. it's just gonna it's gonna go dry. But the wing right. is like the perfect thing. So like we just very lightly dust it, and then we very lightly batter it. And then we just really let the batter and the skin get crispy together. It just like fuses into this one thing, you know? And so the skin gets completely rendered out, but then leaves this like super, super crispy uh, outside. It's a, it's a, it's a miracle of, uh, I don't know, invention. It's really quite delightful. <laughs> I love hey, it. But you know what? I got to tell you, I don't know if you know about that. Uh, do you know the Mad for Chicken? It was it was called Mad for Chicken. It was on the second floor on the corner of 32nd and 5th Avenue. And they had the Korean fried chicken. So this is a place that I we would go to. So when, when I opened the Breslin, the Breslin was just three blocks down from there. Uh-huh. And so at the end of service, I would, you know, always, like, take some cooks or we'd go up to K-Town and eat. But Mad for Chicken has, like, my ideal Korean fried chicken. And I you still know, I think don't I've think eaten there. Yeah, it's called I think like I have eaten there. It changes. They changed their name a couple times. I think it's like turntable right, chicken. It's like something else now. The location seems very familiar. I feel like I've taken a picture of the chicken wing in traffic going. This is really good. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I but I mean, I, I'm still chasing that. Chasing that's that's what I always sort of wanted to go for with our our uh, chicken. But um. Yeah, I never make it at home. It's just I, I leave it to the professionals. I mean, even I always say there's certain <laughs> dishes that you even even though you can, a you know I just don't want to. I because a I just want to eat like one batch and I don't want to have it sitting around and stuff like that. So it's just I always say stuff like that. Just order it, order it, or go someplace and get it because that's the joy. You know, you'd have no cleanup or anything like that. Leave yeah. it to the professionals. Yeah, just so. come to Toki for every meal. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And so how are you cooking for your last time I talked to you, you're cooking for your kids. We talked a little bit about that because I think it's kind of hilarious because um, every time I talk to chefs with young kids, we there's always this uh, people have to commiserate. They're like, do your children because my children won't eat anything I make. And they always want to know if their their kids are just weird or if all kids are that way. <laughs> and so how is it like are your kids eating your food? Oh, are they liking it? Do they love it as much as everyone else does? I mean, what do they say? They say, Daddy, make me a... <laughs> yeah, Elliot. <laughs> I feel like uh, people probably thought I was training him, but he would always be like, Daddy makes the best chicken. And when we, when the kids lived, when we all lived here, it was, it was funny because we would just order from menu and just take it over to the house. And so the kids would eat a lot of my food. They loved the fried chicken. Um, they've had it since they were young, <laughs> very young. It's the only fried chicken they know. See, they ruin for the rest of their lives in college. They'll be like, they'll order. Somebody will order fried chicken. They'll be like, "What is this garbage?" You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's. But great. at home, uh, but at home, you know, I don't. I, I we cooked a lot, obviously. Um, uh, but it's it's been it's been hard, and I tr- I just keep it simple, and I just try to get the food on the on the plate. Well, the that's table. that's the thing to do, you know. I I, yeah. I tell people not to stress, especially chefs or people who are in the food industry. They get so worried because you know. They don't know if they're, it's just them or their kids. And I always say, you know, it's just all you can do is just expose them to really delicious foods and, you know, yeah. and have this attitude that, hey, it's delicious. And, you know, someday you're going to thank me because, you know, I exposed you to it because I always tell my kids, I say, you know, 
I know you're going to like this when you're older. I'm going to yeah. guarantee you. We even had a bet. Like we had a bet with one of our kids who hates Mexican food. And mm-hmm. um, Gregor, my partner, he said, I'm going to bet you a hundred dollars that before you turn 18, you're going <laughs> to like something from Mexican cuisine, you know, something. And he, and he was like, he's like, he wanted out a hundred dollars. Yeah. And uh, he would, we go to a Mexican restaurant and he'd order a burger and everybody like every you know anything oh, like no. his sister or whatever <laughs> um but he caved he caved because you know what did it was fajitas he because he loves anything oh, grilled and he smelled yeah. like grilled meat and he really wanted that fajita and i was like there you go if you don't get your hundred dollars you know but there's yeah. all these other things i tell i tell the kids i said you know it's okay i always say i'm a professional I wouldn't tell you that it was good unless it was good. Like, why would I lie to you, your mother? Why would I tell you it's delicious if it's not delicious? <laughs> the fact that you, your little your little child brain can't comprehend that it's delicious yet is not my fault. You will grow into it and then you'll thank me later. So Peter, yeah. don't worry. Your kids will, they'll be so amazed later on and think about all those things that they could have eaten that, that, that you offered them that they didn't eat. You know? Yeah, it's also good to like bring it around, recycle things. I, I, I put stuff in front of them when they're like, oh, they can't eat it. And then I bring it back around in a couple of weeks and they're like, oh, this is great. And I'm like, what? You didn't it's, like this two weeks ago. It was just the weather, out. you know, it was like the weather, the plate that it was on, you know, it's nothing, it has nothing to do. Children, yeah. you know, it's like all, you know, like you get the sandwich, you give them the full sandwich, they don't want it. You cut it in half, suddenly it's the most delicious. It's perfect, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's, I said, you just keep trying, but. Are, you know, how lucky for them. They're going to have these amazing memories um, of growing up in that restaurant, you know, um, yeah. as as people who have gone to the restaurant, they just have they are part of the memories of being mm-hmm. able to like, what do you see? Like, you remember, like the the grass and you remember, like the kids toys and things like that. But, you know, that par- that's part of the legacy of such a unique place of this live work restaurant space. <laughs> Yeah, and I just I also found that um, a lot of people have had that experience, either chefs with their kids, and I'm always curious to how the kids, how the kids turn out, you know, how they turn out. Yeah. Do they go into uh, food or do they absolutely like go the opposite? Right? Right. Yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't mind if the kids went to food. Keys to the kingdom is what I say. <laughs> yes. Uh, would you give them the keys to the Hano kingdom? Will they? Right. Do, have they earned it? <laughs> uh, well, you, you know, do some dishes way. first, I think. <laughs> Make them do dishes. Do they have to do any chores? Do they have to do chores at the restaurant? Make oh, them fold right. any napkins? No, I mean, actually, you know, they were. Elliot was getting there and, um, he was getting there and he would like spend time at the table pre-service with the staff. I mean, the, the staff, it was, it was great to have so many people um, who we hired. I think that was kind of also the, the test to a new hire is like, right. we would throw the kids in the mix and see how they react and if they can't you know, deal with the kid being around, then they weren't going to be a good fit. I imagine so, you like with a camera and like in the other room with like that, you know, watching yeah. them throw Frankie in there, you know, see that sous chef, see how he reacts, like have him like do something like touch his knives or something, see what he says, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, especially, especially in the kitchen where there's, you know, they just, all these dangerous things are at arm's length. Somebody was telling me a story just the other day that like one of our, back back in the day, one of our cooks had put down like a, a, a pressure cooker that we had, and it's, you know, ripping hot and they put it down and Frankie like, Oh. came out in two seconds in a blink of an eye he was like both hands like oh. going up and, and touching the <laughs> touching the pressure cooker so 
Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. But you it's famously have what is it, the swear jar? Did you you still have the swear jar? <laughs> <laughs> when your cooks if anybody swears, I gotta put money in there. Is that, that was to kind of temper yeah, the swearing was, in the kitchen, right? Right, but it was a win win for them, I think, because it went to staff beers. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> so they would they would swear all they want still. Uh we had we had a pretty hilarious list of um of alternative swear words though. So, oh really? Yeah. It was it, it has the same kind of uh, punchy appeal. It was just insert this instead of that, right? <laughs> yeah, the swear word definition dictionary. <laughs> yeah, at uh, some point we had raised like yeah, it was it was, you know, in the hundred dollar range. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, well, I know that everyone who has worked there, I've um I've you know, you see them around town and stuff like that, and they all talk about how great it is to work there, that it really does feel like a family, you know. It's not like coming to work. So, testament yeah, no, to you anyway yeah <laughs> you're like i don't know what to say about that um, well, anyway. I, mean, I, I, I miss i miss our staff i I miss the kids being able to be in the space it's you know actually i, I gotta say the, the really hard thing when we first re reopened um past august was i was here and working and doing this takeaway menu and like working really hard and and then like you know the kids weren't here and mm. i would look out and they weren't guests in the space and i think that's right. what really pushed me to do this new project was to just get me out of this space mm -hmm. because obviously there's a lot of um you know emotional attachment to it and all that stuff and and i didn't realize how much that would bum me out to be here right. working but not have the kids like just a few feet away in the house and and yeah so you know i I, but so I think about that and the staff that we had and how close we were and how close they were to the kids, how 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 the kids just basically grew up with all of them here, you know. So, yeah, it's I miss that. Well, hopefully we'll get back to that. Mm -hmm. um, since I have you here, I have to I have to ask you about cultural appropriation, just because people always ask me about it, because you see like Korean ingredients everywhere these days, right? You see gochujang yeah. here, whatever you see every yeah, everywhere. Gochujang. Gochujang. Gochugaru. Gochugaru, right? Like, does um, it bother you? How do you feel about that? I mean, people ask me I mean, all the time how I feel about it. So I was just curious. Yeah, to be honest, it bothers me because it was stuff that wasn't like really held in high regard before. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it bothers me. I don't think you can like put, uh, I don't know, it's, it's like the, it's like the, the thing you see very often is, you know, a banh mi with a kim, like a kimchi, where like cultures all mismatch. And kim, if a kimchi like, in anything, yeah, it just becomes the default spicy. Yeah, I, I don't like, I don't like it being used as like a, uh, I don't know the word actually, but yeah, I mean, it, I think, I think if you're going to pay respect to the cuisine and, and then do it respectfully, but if you don't, if you just kind of throw it in there as a, as a hot trendy keyword or whatever, right. then, then it's not cool. Right. Yeah, yeah. I have no problem that I'm, it makes me happy that so many people are introduced to these ingredients. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And that maybe that'll spark curiosity to go out and eat those dishes where it appears traditionally. So when they go to the menu, maybe they go to a Korean restaurant, they're not ordering the same three things that they mm-hmm, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, try out more things. So I, I like that aspect of it. But it always I always want them to kind of understand how it's used traditionally before they go crazy mm-hmm. and throw it in things where it doesn't belong. You know, sure. and I say never does, doesn't belong because there's, you know, really ingredients you can put anything anywhere, you know, no one has these rules where you can't put it in. But I think it's to their benefit, the person who's making the dish to understand how it's traditionally used, you know, so they understand like a little bit more. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's I think so much it, more to, to learn too. I mean, for myself, uh, I'm always learning from my mom, my mom. Actually, it's really funny because my mom and dad would always be like, hey, that's not how you're supposed to do it. I'm like, ah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but you can do that because not, you're like, yeah. you can get away with that. I mean, but yeah, yeah. you're right. You know, because I, I, I think you, I heard you say before that you're like, when people think, just describe it as a Korean restaurant, it's like, well, if they just think it's a Korean restaurant, they might be a little disappointed because they're not going to come in and see like, you know, you go to the K-Town restaurant, it's like, 55 items on the menu, <laughs> you know, it's like every single Korean dish greatest hits, right? Like you don't get that. You get a very edited what you're what you're making now. And it may not it may not be how it's served traditionally, but it's mm-hmm. certainly representative of like you could tell that somebody that, you know, the person behind it, like you can tell that you know what you're doing because of the flavors are all still there, but the presentation might be different, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I, at, at some point Oh, no, I know exactly when it was. It was when, so we had this set menu, um, and and then we, that was Friday and Saturday nights, and then uh, we wanted to do a dumpling and noodle night. And that's when I was kind of like, okay, well, you know, I'm not just trying to do Korean dumplings into Korean noodles. I, was doing, I wanted to do a, a variety of, of dishes and cuisines that we had kind of missed from um places that we like to eat in la or new york and so that's when we really expanded from just the just the korean dishes and we just started Mm -hmm. getting into other dishes like we did you know handful noodles that were uh, similar to the ones from shan famous foods because we love that place so much um and that's actually on the menu currently at toki um and you know other like snacky things like we were doing like a mapo tofu nacho that uh <laughs> you know was kind of a play off of uh expatriates nacho dish that i love so much and so you know that's when we really started playing with things that were less korean and more things that we kind of craved and we wanted to eat that we couldn't really find here or really you know made made it fun for us to cook and you know it just it just kind of expanded our 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 menu from there well, I love the kind of the creative fun things. And I feel like you can get away with it because of who you are, or at least the fact that I say who you are, I mean, you're Korean. You can take those yeah. Korean flavors and do twist them in whatever absurd way you want. Because uh, A, it's going to be delicious. But, you yeah. know, I feel like you have a certain reference of what it, you know, where that history came from. But <laughs> yeah, and a lot of it's very personal. So like, there's no way somebody would understand what that ties into the rest of the menu. I just go, well, this is something that I loved. Uh, from this one place that I had it, and I want to put it on the menu because I want to, I want to, I want to eat it. <laughs> so right. you know, and it, it, so it, it, a lot of it is very personal to me and son and things that we, you know, we miss and we want to want to eat and we can't find here. 
Well, this is a good transition because we could go into our questions here. So my question is, what is the last thing you ate? Snack or meal or last thing that you ate before now? Oh, boy, what did I have? I eat... Don't edit. Just say what you had. <laughs> yeah, I just all I eat is uh, coffee in the morning. What did I have to eat? I tasted something today. I tasted a wedge of uh, the chicken sandwich today. From the menu or from the, from the menu, yeah. Oh yeah, so just you do that. So do, do did I, you do it as quality check or just because you were hungry? Yeah. Oh yeah. No. We'll, no. We'll <laughs> taste. We'll taste stuff constantly. I I eat. I feel like I taste all day, really. <laughs> and do you have a favorite style of cuisine or a favorite food? It's so hard to <laughs> answer that question. Mexican food. <laughs> really. You and Greg, yeah, let me, man, I live with like a Mexican food junkie, and it's like that's all he ever wants to eat. Uh, yeah, it's Mexican uh, food. Really, what 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 do you like most? I mean, what is there a certain dish that you like? I mean, I don't think anything's better than like a al pastor taco, but you oh, gotta really yeah. be in Mexico, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> oh, but, Mexican you know, food I, in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, in Mexico. Uh, boy. No, you know, I mean, Korean barbecue is the best, isn't it? <laughs> isn't Korean barbecue? It the is because it's not. It's not even. It's the food, but it's also the whole experience, which it's I love everything so much. About it. Like you, you know, get, so I just like, especially where you go and like you just, as soon as you order, they like drop all the punch <laughs> on your table. It's like it's so overwhelming to a lot of other people, but like. You get all your punch on, and you, oh. then the meats come out, and you get to grill. And oh, man, I miss that so much. I it's like interactive, the spirit yeah. of hospitality. It's yeah. DIY. All <laughs> you know, it's. I mean, I love. Yeah, and there's always like some sense of discovery too with people you take. I feel like I've introduced so many people to it, um, and mm -hmm. and they not that like it's the first time they've had it, but it's like here's how you do it. You know, right? Because a lot of people are overwhelmed by so much of it all at once, and then, mm -hmm. and then like having to cook it, <laughs> cook it themselves. Oh, uh, well, I, it's okay. You can say it. Korean barbecue is your favorite food of all time. I can say that because I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and then I wanted to ask um, you: when you were growing up, were you a hot lunch kid or a sack lunch kid? No, I was. Uh, I was a product of uh, school lunch. So yeah, we ate what was what was uh, <laughs> at school lunch. Me too. Yeah, I never had. I only time I ever had a sack lunch was if there was a field trip, right? And you had to like bring a sack lunch. But my a yeah, my mom I never always wanted a lunchables. <laughs> oh yeah, so no, fascinated we, by lunchables were introduced. We never got our it. childhood. <laughs> Yeah. They were introduced, right? And then you look at it now, you're like, well, what was the big deal, right? It's like processed cheese. <laughs> like, no, I get it every once in a while. Just sort of I buy my kids. Kicks. I'll buy my <laughs> to this day, my children, um, they want a lunchable. Like when we go on a road trip, when we go to yeah. like the gas station and they go in and I let them pick out some candy, whatever, they both want a lunchable. And I know it's kind of like eh, but it like the the amount of joy that it gives them, I'm just like yeah. Enjoy it. You know, so I know it's all packaging and the fact that nowadays they have them with like Capri Suns inside, which is like reminiscent of my old school days too. You know, it's like oh, yeah. for me, it's like a vintage drink in there. <laughs> Some of them have dessert. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I get it. I get it. <laughs> but yeah. What did, what was your favorite thing on the hot lunch menu? Do you remember? 
Uh, not really. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't really remember too much about. You, don't you know what? To, you know what? I actually, this is like a whole other thing. But I just don't have a lot of memories from my childhood. So I was born in Korea. We immigrated when I was seven. Uh-huh. And what happened? You just I, like blank it out. There's a, there's a block of. Was it like many trauma? Years. You're like you moved to another I, country. You're like the outsider. Yeah. You just like forgot. You don't want to like remember it. Oh yeah, I think so. I feel like I need be. to. Yeah, I feel like I need to see somebody get like you know hypnotized and like you know or like go on like, a, a vision quest or like go on a, you know go take some mushrooms and figure out what happened to you my know, childhood. You should, well, you should have memories. People remember no, stuff when they're like three. Really, really terrible memory of my childhood. But <laughs> I, I've been told <laughs> there was a kid that was in my first gate class. He remembers that I uh, when I came because I was like the only Asian kid in this in this tennis right. school and he remembers that like the first day i came in and i just had had my head like in my desk Aww. the entire day and then oh for goodness. the entire week and then <laughs> it took like weeks before i actually like you know because i had also esl class in between uh-huh. the regular school right. and so like i would be like sh- shuttled off to some other classroom and he remembers that and i i have no recollection whatsoever and then you, I think you was, blocked it out. That's why. Because <laughs> yeah, the trauma. <laughs> but uh, but but my mom also tells me the story that um, on my first day of school, I think there was like spaghetti or something. It was a hot lunch, and I ha- I ate something. I forget what it was. Uh, she'll remember. But I ate something and I immediately puked. <laughs> and oh, they really? had to come and pick me up. <laughs> this was I think like my first week of school oh my gosh of all the things yeah. to make, it's already traumatic enough that you're like all these things and then you like you know because that's the worst nightmare when you're a little kid to throw up at school right yeah <laughs> i think uh i think all of uh, it was so traumatic that i just blocked it out of my memory i mean there's a good no, chunk of like my work experience in new york that i've blocked out of my memory too you know <laughs> <laughs> just hearing you tell that story is just heartbreaking because as a parent all that you want to do is you want to make your me too. Kids like go to school and feel like they belong and have friends and be accepted, right? I oh, know. Well. It's okay. <laughs> you've you've toughened up since then, but oh my goodness, that's I can. I'm, I'm just now getting over it at 42. I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so who um in your life? You said that you're you know you're you remember cooking with your family, but who would you say is responsible for you being the food person that you are today? Like who? What was your inspiration or like who inspired you to to like food eat food cook food for others um it was always my mom i mean she Did cooked every cook meal food in the house yeah she cooked every meal um dinner was always like you know the entire family sat for dinner every dinner mm-hmm. um but yeah i think you know even still it's she you know she still makes she still like so like yeah, she still makes her kimchi and and actually uh, when we before we opened Hanok, I got a chance to go to um, Japan with Naomi. Naomi had a a cooking uh, thing Naomi that she Pomeroy. got invited. Yeah, Naomi Pomeroy, a beast or right cooperative mm-hmm. now, uh, mm-hmm. but she she uh, brought me along on this trip that she got invited to, and um, that was an amazing trip. That was like an incredible experience, eye opening. Like I I just. Oh yeah, um, to be able to go change, to Japan change. and then go go with yeah. like a colleague like Naomi Pomeroy. <laughs> yeah, and she took us out to a bunch of places, which was really great. Uh, but on that same trip, because I was uh, in Japan, I I 
piggybacked a trip to Korea and my mom and my sister met me out there. And so we spent two weeks in Korea before I came back and then we found the space. And while we were there, we were looking at, you know, walking the streets of Seoul and seeing like Hanok, like Korean, like Korean homes, traditional Korean homes right. and stuff. And that's when like that, that all the sort of came, came about. Yeah. That all came about when we, when we came back and found the space. But, um, but yeah, a, a lot of that just, you know, I was, thinking about doing pop-ups then and and we just talk a lot about food always like we're always mm -hmm. talking about stuff and she's teaching me stuff and her her family is all there she's the oldest of seven and our, my my aunts will like send so they'll so they're the ones that are like um finding like gochugaru like the best gochugaru right you can find and, in sourcing Korea, <laughs> and sourcing and like sending shipping them over and she right, and it's different you know, there. my mom my mom uses it very sparingly but it always goes into the into the kimchi that we make um, right. here so yeah <laughs> well that my um it was very funny for me growing up is only only when i became an adult did i realize that the dishes that my mom made were actually real dishes because i always thought my mom made up stuff like the mm. Korean food I ate, I thought, what the heck is this? It was like, you know, like it was like she'd put hot dogs and stuff and whatever. And I was like, what the, you know, I just thought spam, she was just making up stuff, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Instead of fish and chips, she would like batter the fish and like egg and whatever. And I was like, is she uh -huh. trying to make fish and chips? Like, it's not crunchy. You know, all these things, all these things that I thought my mom was just making up. And only when I was an adult did I realize that these are actually real, real dishes. I mean, she was mm -hmm. maybe adapting them with the ingredients that she had on, you know, at a hand, but mm -hmm. I didn't realize that they were like legitimate things. I thought she mm -hmm. the whole time she was just making shit up you know so yeah then i went to korea well, and they have it on the restaurant menu i was like oh there's a name for it <laughs> yeah it's funny too like my mom loves cornbread and you're like wait why, mm. how does that make any sense but obviously it's you know from all the that's that's why there's american cheese and hot dogs and spam and, my mom um, loves cornbread too yeah she loves cornbread like the all there's a bunch of uh american-ish foods that are uh adopted by all this all the koreans and they love it yeah, can't get totally. enough of it. I don't know if it's reminiscent of something else, but <laughs> but that's great. That's great that your mom, um, that the whole family in Korea is still sourcing for you. Yeah, it's a pretty awesome. Uh, we got to get back. She come back with big I'm, suitcases I'm full of like <laughs> anchovies yeah. and things like that. Oh, yeah, totally. My sister, when we were in Korea, she came back in her suitcase. She had like, it was all like K-beauty products and dried anchovies. <laughs> <laughs> Face mess. Right. All that stuff. All that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's see. Favorite beverage of choice. Be as specific as possible. You know, I just like a, just like, I, like the coldest possible light beer. Oh, like what, actually, what, what, what brand? Um, you know, back in the day, Costco used to have a Kirkland signature <laughs> brand light beer. <laughs> are you trying to get a are you trying to get a product endorsement here kirkland I, brand i mean if i you know, could peter i, I would do anything in, like when, when i was Oregon, most micro brews per capita than any other them. in the world don't tell any of them <laughs> please don't tell any of them but like we used to get i used to get them because they came in a case of 48 for like 24 bucks it was insanely right. cheap oh boy and we would you know, I would get cases at a time. And that was our staff beer here. And then, and then, you know, from PJ, our, our good friend, um, taught us how to snap it open with a towel. With a I've towel, seen this. Right? 
I've seen this very impressive like circus trick that you do where yeah. Peter has a can and he'll set it on a table and then he'll get like a kitchen side towel mm -hmm. and just whip it. And it doesn't seem possible, but you'll pop the can off, like pop the top, and it'll open. It's right. crazy. Right. The How does one the, even learn something towel. like that? Well, I learned it from PJ because he, you know, I guess he worked in kitchens where there was a lot more grab ass happening, where like people snap right. each other in the butt with the <laughs> right. with the towels and stuff. But he he would oh. show off his skills. He would be able to like he told me he would be able to like break plates in half. Somebody would hold him like this, like a right. you know, in a oh. taekwondo class or something, and he would like snap right. it in half. <laughs> but uh, he showed me that trick, and you know we practiced really hard. It was probably the hardest I've I've worked on something. <laughs> right, <laughs> you master, you mastered that skill. Yeah, snapping a, a, well, a can open. I've heard of people like liking like Pops Blue Ribbon or kind of that kind of stuff, but Kirkland, Kirkland's well, the first see, ever. <laughs> the, the drink of choice though was the the cheap light beer as cold as possible, and then you would pour a rim of, and we would get these like really big bottles of yuzu, salted yuzu juice. Mm. It would be like a hundred dollar bottle of yuzu. Oh, juice. see, see, you like but gourmet that just, up then. But then you just pour a little rim of this salted yuzu. Hundred dollar yuzu the, around the rim. <laughs> of, around the rim of the cheapest, <laughs> coldest beer possible, and it was it's the best thing ever. I love it. I love it. I love the highbrow, lowbrow nature of it. it seems yeah. totally appropriate. <laughs> And then um, in your refrigerator right now, and I say this, like, what's the most embarrassing thing in your refrigerator right now? But I mean, I do agree that there's nothing you should be embarrassed about. But like, what might be surprising that we could find in uh, Peter Cho's refrigerator? <sighs> okay, so I found um, at the grocery store, this was months ago. I mean, I always have like some sort of like sweet flavored creamer for my coffee. <laughs> And again, oh, like those like international the, flavors, like the yeah, you know, like the Irish coffee, cream, French coffee vanilla, people, but I found one that's like spice. the M&M. Oh, M&M. <laughs> they so make an M&M <laughs> coffee creamer? Yeah, there's Snickers what? and M&M. And I'm not embarrassed by it at all, but like I get a lot of shit for it for sure. Um, <laughs> As you should. But, uh, hey. Also, Peter. Uh, Peter. We li we live in the coffee mecca. No, don't coffee tell mecca. them. Don't tell any of them. It's like hipster coffee roaster central, and you're putting M and M creamer uh, in their coffee. I know. Oh boy. <laughs> that, it's delicious. That, I was gonna say there's nothing to be embarrassed about, but that might be just a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> no, the stickers in the M and M is delicious. You know, really, I'm really sure it is totally delicious. How can it not, right? How can it not? Yeah. Um, okay, best kitchen tip, hack, or hack or tip, whatever, hack, tip, trick, <laughs> besides your uh, your can opening technique, which I, I think it would take somebody a good lifetime to master. Um, I, I know, know you're thinking hard about this, right? I know. Sorry. I or do you, you have a favorite kitchen tool? Something you like, something that you can't live without? All my favorite kitchen tools are really cheap. And so that's what's surprising to people is uh, people think you have to spend a lot of money for things in the kitchen. But some of my favorite things are like from the Asian market. Not expensive. Oh, yeah. Those things are great. You know what? I, I mean, I just, a, a new, I think like I found this a lot with uh, cooking at home. Um, mm -hmm. We go through nonstick pans like constantly, right? And I, I really oh, yeah. just try to cook eggs in nonstick pans. So like nothing else really. Um, so I think it's just a good 
new nonstick pan and then don't cook it on super high heat and don't cook anything but eggs in it. Um, we just eat a lot of eggs at our house. And so whether it's well, scrambled for the kids. It's a perfect food, you know, the incredible, edible egg, you know, yeah. you can do anything with an egg, you know? Remember yeah, that? no, we eat a lot of eggs. So I, we'll take flats of eggs and go through them in a, in a week. But um, yeah, but it's just a nice new um, nonstick pan that you Right. People will ask me about pans. I'm too sure they ask money. you too. Right. They want to spend, they want to buy like a super expensive pan or whatever no. that, but if it's their nonstick, I say, you know, a nonstick pan has a shelf life. Like you're mm -hmm. going to want to replace this pan like regularly. So don't like knock yourself out and buy something that you can't, you know, it's not because you're not going to want this pan. It's not like it's not like the nonstick pan you're going to leave to your children, you know, on your deathbed. Mm -hmm. I leave mm -hmm. for you my nonstick pan. <laughs> you know, you can leave you leave them the cast like iron, an old cast the, iron pan that's, you know, been handed down from generation to generation. It's right. The, it's like 25 the bucks. Nonstick. Using, it's like using. use it yeah. after a while. You know, you just need to replace it, right? So totally. I think that's a good tip. Like, don't, yeah. don't, you want to buy a decent one, but not, don't spend an arm and a leg because you're going to want to replace it, right? For sure. Okay. And then if you could wake up tomorrow and have any skill possible, <laughs> what would it be? Like, you know, no practice. Like, if I could wake up and just snap open beer cans, <laughs> that'd be pretty impressive. I think because pe A, people wouldn't expect it from me, but like, you know, and I know how much work you put into it, but if I could just wake up with that skill, I would choose that one. So, um, do you have one? Cook yeah, cooking wise, I would love to be able to like uh, have a mastery over like wok cooking. Oh, yeah. I've never professionally. Yeah. Yeah, I've never professionally cooked uh, the wok, and mm -hmm. so just learning how to do that and be be good at that would be amazing. I've I've well, I dream you... of having a wok. I'll I'll get one one of these days. You're gonna get I only one. Just... I just talked about this. Yeah, you I do, only you just do it in your outdoor space. Fryer. Huh? Right. What was that? I I only just got a fryer, like a big. Oh, you just got a fryer. How were you cooking your chickens? In a mini fryer. <laughs> <laughs> for, for five years, we would cook all our chicken uh, for service in a mini fryer. It's the same kind of mini fryer that, like you know, like people have in their homes. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, no, boy. I mean it's a little, it's a little bigger. bigger. But yeah, yeah. But I never had. You'll get. I'll think you're. You're gonna get your walk. I have a feeling you. You should have that. You should do that kind of like the indoor outdoor space so they can really yeah. get that walk like ripping hot, and you have that. Yeah. You know where they have that circular thing that it you see them and i see them in the um, the videos from china where they're cooking in that big open thing and the heat is crazy and then they're yeah it's like it's a like jet engine. skill <laughs> yeah. you get there it's one of those things yeah i mean those those walk burners are amazing because it's like a, a jet engine and then you have like a whole <laughs> water well and then a sink that uh with like the arm or a faucet that comes out so yeah that whole setup that's what i want Okay, well, hopefully, wanna, if any any uh, wok manufacturers out there want to outfit Peter Cho's kitchen, yeah. now's, now's your chance. Reach out. So, yes. <laughs> well, thank you, everyone, and thank you for uh, listening. Thank you, Peter, for joining me for listening to episode two of Food People Are the Best People with Chef Peter Cho of Hanok and Toki Restaurant in Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm.